Well, once again, good morning and a warm welcome to our morning service here from Elgin Baptist Church. We are so glad that you have joined with us this morning and it is our prayer that you would be greatly blessed as we worship God in the singing of his praises and in the proclaiming of his word. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we have recorded there for us a prayer of David. And in that prayer is included this line. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. That is the theme of our opening song, God's Greatness. How great thou art, followed by be thou my vision. Let us unite together in prayer our god and our father the one who is sovereign lord of all there is we echo david's prayer no one like you and there is no god but you you are the creator and you are the sustainer of all things you are holy and majestic you are all powerful yet you are full of love and compassion you are slow to anger and you abound in love and as we come we acknowledge all your goodness we marvel at all your greatness and we glory in all your grace we pray lord that you would forgive us for our sins and our shortcomings. We thank you that with you, O oh God, there is forgiveness. And we come to thank you for your many blessings towards us. We give you thanks for the health and strength that enables us to worship you. We thank you for our homes and our families. We thank you for the church to which you have made us part of. We thank you for your love towards us, Lord Jesus, in that while we were still sinners, you died for us. You have blessed us in so many ways, Lord. And we come with an attitude of gratitude in our hearts and thank you and praise you for every good and perfect gift that comes from our Father above. We continue in these days to pray into the whole COVID-19 situation, Lord. We've just been reminded even uh, in Aberdeen of, of how quickly it can come back again, Lord. And we pray for a complete eradication of this illness that has caused so much havoc not just in our own community, not just in our own nation, but indeed right across the world. We pray for those who are still working to bring about a vaccine and we pray, Lord, that that might happen soon. We pray for those who are continuing to suffer from the effects of it, either health-wise, Lord, or as is the case more and more now, economy-wise, Lord. And we just do pray. We pray, Lord, for an end to it. 
we pray for a return to some form of normality we thank you lord that we will be able physically uh, to gather here uh, this evening to praise and to worship you for the first time in over five months and we give you thanks for that and we look out across our world lord and we see the impact that covid is having in various parts of the world and we think too lord of, of that terrible explosion in beirut earlier this week and all who have been affected with that and we pray into that situation lord and so we come not just asking you for things but we come thanking you for who you are and for what you have done and what you are doing and we pray that you would bless us as we gather here uh, as we worship you as we sing these songs as we look at your word uh, please lord uh, although we are still not meeting physically gather with us we pray in jesus holy and precious name amen amen i know that this coming week is a big week for not just the boys and girls but also for school teachers many of whom we have here in the congregation and going back to school can be a big thing especially so since it's been so long since you have been there and you might be feeling maybe just a little bit scared or a little bit unsure of how that, how everything's going to work out this week. And that's understandable. But if we have trusted Jesus, then he promises to go with us. He promises to be with us wherever it is that we go. Earlier, we were singing about how great our God is. And sometimes we can forget that. But boys and girls, I want to remember you that he is bigger than any of our fears. And we can face whatever this week brings, knowing and trusting in that fact. And what I want to do now is I'm just going to pray for all the boys and girls and for the school teachers as they head back to school this coming week. And then we're going to sing our God is a great big God and he holds us in his hands. So let's just pray. Father, we do bring before you the boys and girls and our young people, not just of the church, but of our community as they head back uh, to school in this coming week. We pray that you would watch over them and protect them. We pray, Father, for school teachers we thank you for them and pray that you would be with the uh, school teachers and classroom assistants and janitors and kitchen staff and, and every head teachers and, and, and everyone involved. And we just pray for a safe return to school for our children and for our teachers. And we pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing our God is a great big God. This morning's reading is taken from 1 Thessalonians, uh, the second chapter, and I'm going to read through the first 12 verses. Let's hear the word of God. 
You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share you share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So reads God's precious, holy, and inspired word. Before we look at that word together, we're going to sing another hymn that invites us to come behold the wondrous mystery. Let us pray. Father, as we come to your word, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit for both speaker and hearer alike. And we ask it in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen. Amen. I made mention of how the church at Thessalonica is a relatively young church. And like all things new, it needs to be cared for, it needs to be nurtured, it needs to be encouraged. And that is actually what most of chapters 2 and 3 are about. We noticed last week of how from verses 9 and 10 we become a Christian when we turn from idols to serve the living God. And when we wait for his son from heaven, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. That like all new things, as I said, they need to be nurtured and they need to be taught. Anybody who has the joy or had the joy and still has a joy of being a parent knows that only too well. In order for a baby to grow, it needs fed. It needs taught right from wrong. It needs to know it has a mother. It needs to know it has a father who cares and who loves. And Paul is using that kind of imagery here in the verses that we read of earlier. There is also a certain degree of kind of defensiveness uh, from Paul. 
most of the commentators agree that Paul is responding to certain allegations that have been made against him by those who would oppose him. They, they, they are saying that he really is nothing more than a bit of a charlatan. He, he was only in it for, for the money and, and kind of when the tough got going, he ran away. Well, Paul is writing to this church whom he loves with all his heart to assure them that nothing could be further from the truth. And so confident he is in all that he has done, we see that, that throughout the verses, he calls on them to remember. Remember how I lived among you. Remember this, remember that. He, and he is even not afraid to call God as his witness. You see, friends, it was the gospel that drove Paul on. It was the gospel that got him up and out of bed every day. And as long as people needed to hear it, as long as people needed to come to believe it, as long as people needed, needed to be nurtured in it, Paul's mission was not complete and neither is ours. I want to just share with you three things from these verses this morning. Firstly, we will look at Paul's message, then we'll see Paul's motive, and finally, we'll look at something of Paul's manner. But firstly, Paul's message. We won't spend a great deal of time on this point, not because it's not important to us, but, but what we do need to know is the importance that Paul puts on the message. And that message is the gospel. The gospel that in verse 5 of chapter 1 came with power. The message that was welcomed and shared as verses 6 and 8 of chapter 1 show us. And here in verse 2, Paul speaks of how they dared to tell you his, that is, God's gospel, God's message. And he uses the same phrase again in verse 8, the gospel of God. You see, friends, in many ways, it's not Paul's message at all. It's God's message. It's God's gospel. And that might seem such a basic fact to me, but nonetheless, it is so important that we remember it. That this is not some kind of message that, that Paul has just kind of made up. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he tells us that he, he received it. He, he's not even the originator of it. He, he received it from other believers. That actually is always the same for each and every one of us. We hear the message, we believe the message, and we pass it on. And Paul tells us that this message, that this gospel is of first importance. So as to being no doubt, or being in no doubt, what this message is, well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this, this is the message that is of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 
And we see how twice in that short verse we're told that this was all according to the scriptures. It was all foretold. It was all planned. The gospel, friends, is no afterthought in the mind of God. And we, like the church at Thessalonica, are entrusted in our day and in our generation to ring it out loud and clear, just as it did from Thessalonica. Paul loved the gospel. Paul lived for the gospel. In Romans, he reminds us that it is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. He lamented when people started to, to mess about with it, to dilute it, to add to it, to subtract to it. Indeed, in, in the opening words to the church at Galatia, he is astonished when he hears that some are turning from the gospel. And he warns those who would preach any other message other than the gospel. There only is one gospel. There is only one message. And friends, that gospel in its most simplistic and basic form is that God in his love and grace and his mercy sent his son Jesus, who lived a sinless life, who died a substitutionary death, and who rose again from the dead, so that sinners who repent and trust in Jesus will be forgiven and have eternal life. What a message it is that we have to proclaim. I spend more time on this point than I had intended. But friends, here's what really matters. Firstly, and most importantly, have you responded to this message? Have you turned to Christ? Confess your sins, trusting in him, serving him, following him. Nothing, nothing is more important. And secondly, are you sharing it with others? Paul's message. Secondly, notice we see something of Paul's motive. You see, despite what his enemies may have said about Paul and what they perceived his motives might have been, Paul tells us clearly in these verses what his motives are. Indeed, before we look at his motives, it is worth pointing out the suffering that he endured for the sake of the gospel. Yet despite all that he endured, the persecution, the accusation, the suffering, the beatings, the imprisonment, he still, as verse 2 shows us, dared to tell the gospel. The gospel drove him. Nothing would prevent him from sharing it. He would have had a much easier life if he did something else, that's for sure. But that's not what God had called him to do. But notice his motives. Verse 3. He begins by telling them that the appeal he makes, that is the call to believe the gospel, that does not come from error. How can it? It is truth. Because it is God's word. There only is, as I said, one gospel. And he has no 
impure motives whatsoever. He is squeaky clean in his motives. Everything is above board. He's not trying to trick anybody. He's not trying to please man. He doesn't try flattery. He doesn't pretend to be somebody that he isn't. He, he isn't in it for the money. He's not looking for praise either from them or from anybody else. And, and, and you see, this is the exact opposite of what some of the charlatans of the day would be all about. They, they would go kind of as almost travelling salesmen from town to town. They would spout forth their teachings and they would do so for profit and for power and for prestige. Paul wanted nothing to do with that. And while Paul is very much, as you read his letters, he is very much a people-orientated kind of guy. He, he loves people. And as we will see, he has a real care and concern for others. Do you notice what his primary motive, as I see it, and as verse 4 tells us, his motive, his primary motive, is to please God. And such is his purity of motives that he is even able to call God as his witness. The end of verse 5. You see, when we consider who Paul was and what Paul had done and, and how easily and, and maybe even justifiably it would have been to have, had to, to have as it were, his name up in lights, Come and hear the great Apostle Paul. All he seeks to do is please God. His motives are unquestionable. But if his primary motive was to please God, which he tells us it is, we also see from what we read here and, and from his other letters that another motive that drove him was that all might hear this message and come to believe. We see that motive clearly in Romans chapter 10, when he says in verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Indeed, in the previous chapter, Romans chapter 9, we read these words, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why did he have unceasing, or sorry, why did he have great sorrow and unceasing anguish? Because he could wish that he himself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He was motivated and he was burdened for the lost. That's what drove him. That's what his motives were. Seems to me you could sum it up by saying the Apostle Paul's motives were first for the glory of God and for the good of others. Is that not 
two motives that we should seek to aspire to. God's glory, others' good. May we be God-pleasers. Paul's message was the gospel of God, which has not changed. And Paul's motive was the glory of God. Finally, from verses 7 through to verse 12, we see something of Paul's manner. There is no doubting, as you read even this letter, but his other letters, that Paul was a man of authority. As an apostle, he was not afraid to use that God-given power and authority when it was right so to do. However, what we see here in these verses is, is a much more tender side to Paul. And I believe that his mannerisms, and by that I mean how he carried out his ministry while in Thessalonica, has got much to teach us all, but especially, though not exclusively, to those who are involved in any kind of leadership or indeed any kind of teaching role. So let's just kind of simply work through uh, these verses and, and, and see what we can learn and by the Spirit's help, put into practice in our own lives. Firstly, we see how Paul makes clear that he was not a burden to them. It's probably better translated here, make demands. He didn't make demands of them. And it appears to me to apply to, to Paul's Willingness, along with Silas and Timothy, but, but Paul's willingness not to look for either financial gain nor prestige. He was willing to work in order to, as it were, make ends meet. He didn't want to be a burden to these people and to this church. He tells us that in verse 9, where he reminds them of working night and day in order not to be a burden to them. He goes on to speak of being gentle and he likens the gentleness as a mother caring for her children. Now, remember, these are young Christians and like all who, who are young, they need to be cared for. And any mother knows that it takes time and it takes patience and it takes energy to care for and to nurture children and Paul was prepared to spend that time with these believers he he cared he really cared for them this is why friends discipleship is so important this is why we have to be gentle with new believers, encouraging them, e even allowing, without excusing, mistakes that they might make. Because, because a new Christian, a new Christian is, is just a babe in Christ, born again, learning how to live the basics of the Christian life. Kind of the comparison to, 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 to a baby being born and as to, and, and as to a Christian be, 
a person becoming a Christian is, is obvious. A baby, a child needs care. It needs love. It, it, it needs fail. Sorry, fed. And, and, and it sometimes it also needs to kind of learn for itself. It needs to know discipline as well. One of the one of the many great joys of some of the, the COVID restrictions being lifted is, 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 is the joy again of family visits, of having family back into your home. Uh, most of our grandchildren are at the age of, of learning to eat for themselves. It's, it's great fun. There is squashed this and squashed that everywhere. Some of it ends in their mouth. Most of it ends in their clothes or, or on the floor that the dog really loves when, when that happens. One of them is kind of learning to, to walk. Kind of, you know, stumble here, a little stumble there. She's getting better at it. But unless care and patience and love is shown, they will never grow. Paul's manner was like that of a mother. Cares for them. He's gentle with them. But then notice, kind of a little further down in verse 11, he kind of balances it out, and he speaks of dealing with them as a father deals with his own children. I'm conscious that um, I might be seen here of kind of stereotyping, but, but there is a kind of different yet complementary role in parenting. That the father can at times be seen as the kind of disciplining one. And we know that discipline is important in a loving way. Maybe it was just kind of my generation, but wait, wait till your father gets home was often all I, I needed to hear and actually heard it very often. One of the other phrases that I continually uh, used to bamboozle me was, this will hurt me more than it hurts you. I used to always kind of think, well, don't bother hurting yourself and doing whatever you're going to do. But we need that mother, that father care and that love, that care, that dis discipline. And, and Paul comes and, and he kind of perfectly balances these two aspects of parenting in a spiritual sense. We also see, and I think this is so important, we also see that he was interested in them as people and not just some kind of project. Verse 8, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. He, he rubbed shoulders with them. He spent time with them. He shared in their joys and in their sorrows. As I said, he saw these people not just as another project to engage in, not just Thessalonica as another city to make Jesus known, but he saw them as people. He saw them as real people who were in need of a saviour 
And yes, the gospel was his priority, but not at the expense of being distant and aloof and separate. And we need to be careful of not becoming, as it were, a spiritual ghetto. We need to share, yes, the message, but we need to share our lives also. And of course, the life that we share, it is important that that life that we share marries up with the words that we speak. And we see that in the case of Paul, because he's able to say, you're witnesses of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. Wow. See, friends, as I've often said, how we live our lives really matters. The manner in which we conduct ourselves can speak loudly. And this call to live a holy life, a righteous life, a blameless life, is not just for some kind of spiritual elite group. It is for every believer. And Paul, Silas and Timothy not only proclaimed the message, but they lived it out in their daily life. And as they did so, in full view of everyone. They encouraged, they comforted, they urged others to do the same. May we seek to do likewise. Paul's message was the gospel. Paul's motive was God's glory. And Paul's manner was loving and caring. Father, we pray that in this coming week, you would enable us to live our lives in such a way that glorifies you. We thank you that you gave us all that we need for life and for godliness. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 1 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Our final hymn reminds us of that great truth. This, the power of the cross. Father, we thank you that the cross is empty. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you defeated it. And it is in you that we can find and have and know forgiveness. May that be the experience of all who are listening now for your glory and for our eternal good. Amen. Well, I want to thank you once again for, for listening in to our service this morning. And let me just say again that if you want to know more about us as a church or, or much more importantly, what it means to be a Christian, then please do get in contact with us and we will be happy uh, to discuss these important matters with you. Details of how to contact us will appear on the screen. But thank you once again and God bless.